What we have before us in Hebrews chapter 10, and I want you to turn there in Hebrews chapter 10, is a set of verses that could be looked at in a number of different ways. And by good men, um, one of my favorite authors, and he unfortunately only wrote three commentaries on the New Testament, Romans, Revelation, and Hebrews, William Newell, who I trust and, and uh, enjoy his writings, so I picked up the book to read it in preparation for tonight. Totally disagree with William Newell on his position on this passage. Good man, godly man, but I think he got it wrong. And I think there's a position that I'm going to share with you tonight that I think texturally it is uh, solid. Now, if you'll remember last week, in, in, in confronting a controversial passage that seems to say a couple different things, the general rule, the number one rule is... Develop your context. Understand that Scripture is placed within a setting and can't be jerked out of that setting without, violent, um, without violence happening to the meaning of the text. So, the entire book of Hebrews was written for this particular purpose. It was written to Jewish believers, those who were religious and got saved, in an effort to show them everything you had in Judaism, it is better in Christ. Move on from Judaism. Move on from religion because religion can't help you. It has some beautiful things about it, but ultimately it is man's effort to get to God versus the truth of the gospel, which is God coming down to man. It's a huge difference. So all we have in Christ is better. So the admonition is, grow. You've come to Christ. Now go on. Don't get muddled back into religion. Move on and grow. This is the context of the entire book and must be held in view of any passage within the book itself. So chapter 10 of Hebrews. The context in this particular case, because we're going to look at verse 26. Let me just read a couple verses in 26 to refresh your memories in case you forgot how controversial a passage this is. Chapter 10, verse 26 says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that, shall, that will consume the adversaries. And then it goes on and talks about the law of Moses. If you broke the law of Moses, you got pounced on. How much more to spite grace? Okay. So, to set the context, I need to go way back up because sometimes in setting a context, you can find the context in the verse or two before the passage. Sometimes you've got to go, 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 and you've got to go a long way to get to the context. And so I want you to go back in chapter 10, not at the beginning, and we're not going to teach through the entire chapter, but I want you to go, oh, let's say verse 5. Verses 1 through 4 talk about how the worshiper under Judaism came with the offering of the blood of a bull and goats and, and how are the bull and then his consciousness of sins was still there because he had to come every year. Verse 5 says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings 
you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In that body, he offers it on the cross. And the writer is going to make this case. It is a once and for all sacrifice. You don't have to keep coming for forgiveness. Now, every year you come to the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and the bull is sacrificed, and the blood pours out, and the lambs are offered. This isn't Christianity. It is not Christianity to constantly come confessing your sins in order for them to be forgiven. This is a once-for-all sacrifice in that once you are covered by that blood, past, present, and future sins are gone. Gone. Now we're told to confess our sins in 1 John as a basis of recognizing when we do, but not for forgiveness. Forgiveness is complete and done. So let's, let's see the contracts. Notice verse 8. When he said you have neither desired or taken pleasure in sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings for sin, uh, he says, behold, I come to do your will. Verse 11, and every priest that stands daily in, in this service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never really take away sins. But when Christ had offered for one time, you see it for yourself, when Christ had offered for one time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down on the right hand of God. Done. Finished. That's why your salvation is finished. He sat down. Work is done. No more offering for sins. It's been done. What a position. Let me stop and say, what a position for us to be in. For years I was told, don't live with unconfessed sin. Make sure there's no unconfessed sin in your life. And preachers held that thing over me year after year, month after month, to motivate me through the idea of guilt. But in all that time, all my sins were put away in the cross, and I didn't, there was nothing, no need to have confessed sins in order to be forgiven. Now follow the point. Notice in verse 12. When Christ had offered one time single sacrifice, he sat down waiting for that time until his enemies should be made his fo- a footstool for his feet. Now, in our flesh, we tend to think, oh, the enemies of Christ, he's going to beat them down with his feet. But you don't use a footstool to beat down. You use a footstool to rest on. I take that verse to mean we are the enemies that are going to be made his footstool. He'll find great rest in the fact that we as enemies have come to Christ. We take that verse in our flesh, do we not? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just sit down, son, and I, until I make all your enemies something you can stomp all over. I don't think that's what the verse is saying. It says there, waiting for that time until his enemies, you and me. There was a time we were enemies to Christ. Notice, should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he perfected for all time those those enemies that now he's resting in, those who are being sanctified. All right, verse, six, verse 18. Verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sins. One, got the context? One offering for all time, for we who are now his footstool, for we who are enemies who've come to Christ, there's no more need for an offering for sin. It's done. One time for all. This is the context. 
Notice verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, because we are clean and pure, now we have confidence by a new and living way that he opened us through the curtain that is his flesh. He died, he opened that curtain, and we can now come in. Since we have a high priest over the house of God, notice the admonition. Based on his work, let us draw near. For years I was told, based on how well you're doing as a Christian, you may draw near. Uh-uh. Based on the completed full work of Christ, based on that and that alone, come. Draw near. Now I'm, I'm setting up the context so you won't so we can interpret the difficult passages. Let us draw near with a true heart, with full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Quit beating yourself up and looking down on yourself. Quit thinking about your past life and all the mistakes and sins. It's gone. It's gone. In the mind of God, have a keep pure and clean conscience. How he thinks about you is how he thinks about his son. Hard pill to swallow, is it not? We as human beings have beat ourselves up all our lives. One picture that's on the mantle of my fireplace at home is a picture of a greeting card that an old friend sent to me years ago of a Jack Russell running across a hayfield. In the back is a fence with a gate, and the inside of the card said, Celebrate like somebody left the gate open. Spiritually, once you're saved, you ought to celebrate like somebody left the gate open. Because he did break open the gate. You're free. You're clean from conscience. What a position he's put us in. Notice, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Don't go back into law. Don't go back into Judaism. Don't go back into trying to please God by your effort. For he has promised, he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to, now notice, here we go. You ready? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's why we come down here. That's why we gather. Not to torment one another. But to stir each other up in love and in good, to encourage each other in the Lord. We talk about grace. We talk about the Lord. We remind each other that we're forgiven. Okay, it's, this is a time where we, we're the saints of God. So we, we, we consider how we can do that, not neglecting to meet together as the manner of some is. Don't neglect the church times, the times the church comes together in instruction in the Word. Come to church, he says. Don't neglect that. In the first century, there were believers who said, we don't have to go over to the house and, and meet with the other believers. And they began to neglect that. And if the admonition was in the first century, how much more now? This is the admonition, notice. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near as the Lord returns. So we're this little body of Christ on this earth. We don't stick our noses in a TV watching the televangelists. We actually come where we can smell each other's breath and spit on each other and talk to each other. We're involved in a real flesh and body thing. And, and, and the writer says, don't stop doing that. Herein is verse 26. Not 
disconnected from that thought. For if we go on sinning deliberately, what's the sinning? It's not coming to church. It's neglecting the assembling of the saints. It is neglecting one another to encourage each other in the faith. We think of sinning as, oh, I'm just going to go get drunk, or I'm going to be immoral, or I'm going to cuss. Jenna enjoyed meeting my brother up in Virginia. Her description of my brother is, he's you with a cuss word or two and a beer in his hand. If you put a beer in my hand and I cussed a few times, that's my brother. We think of all that as sinning and sinning. Well, here the context says if we choose to not gather together and we begin to go out, there it is. See the context? If we choose to deliberately neglect coming together as a church and you get out of the practice of coming to the church, the scripture talks that, describes that as sinning. Does that surprise you? Doesn't surprise me. Because when people quit coming to the assembly and quit, keep, quit coming to church, before you know it, they're involved in all kinds of stuff. Easy to get out of it, isn't it? Out of the habit of it. Notice, let's go on. For if we notice, now, William Newell, God bless his soul, believes this is a lost person. That he's going to describe a lost person. A person who came to the church, made a profession, never really got saved. But here it says, notice verse 26, for if we, he's talking about Christians. There's no reference to lost people in Hebrews. It's talking to Christian Jews that need to grow, not lost people. Notice, if we go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. A Christian can deliberately sin by abandoning the fellowship of a church and not going anywhere. And Paul is saying there is no more sacrifice for sins. In other words, that person isn't committing sins that need to be forgiven because he's forgiven already. Let me make that a little clear, okay? I see your, your eyes like, okay, it's, it's muddy out there. So let, let's look at it again, because it's not saying what we think it's saying. Notice verse 26. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, don't be out there thinking you're sinning and that you get all condemned and God, you're in a state of unforgiveness and, and you need to repent and come back to church. Because in that condition... Just like you were in the church, you're still forgiven. There remains now no, no longer a sacrifice for sins. Everybody follow me now? Whether you live within the church and grow in the Lord and, and give yourself to grace and progress, or you choose deliberately to leave the fellowship of the church and think you can go it on your own, neglecting that, you're still in a state of forgiveness and perfection. So how does God deal with that? Look at the next phrase. There is a fearful expectation of judgment. Yes, you're forgiven. You're deliberately sinning, but you're forgiven. 
So uh, you get away with it? No, God disciplines. There is a fearful expectation that God will come and discipline you or I. Now that's not meant to condemn us. It is not meant to punish us. It is the discipline that says, I love you too much to let you go on apart from the fellowship of a church. Life will be hard for you. Now, are there people that make a profession of faith and never really get saved? They never really come to Christ. And they look look saved for a while and they fall away. Absolutely. But this isn't what these verses are talking about. There's no reference to lost people at all. There's a reference to you and I. If we deliberately neglect the assembling of ourselves, how can we call that sinning? Well, the Bible calls it sinning. I, I believe in the context there. This is the body of Christ. Do you understand how precious this thing is? I mean, I know no other body than what's sitting on this stool. This is my body. Okay? Pretty precious to me. I take care of it. I try to. This time of year is hard. Okay? This is the body of Christ. How can a person who's saved not come to the body of Christ, not be a part of a local assembly? I don't understand that. That's neglecting what Christ died to form and formulate. Okay? So in this state of sin, there's no more sacrifice for sin because they're always forgiven, no matter whether they're in a church or not. Well, how does God deal with it? There's a fearful expectation that God's going to deal with his child. He's going to deal with them. Notice the next phrase. And a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Well, it's plural, and they are adversaries, they are enemies. Who are these? Let me suggest someone to you. They are those who are influencing the child of God to be away from church. Jesus gave his strongest warning to those who offend little ones. He said it's better to have a a, a stone tied around your neck and be cast into the sea than offend one of my little ones. There are lost people. There are people that are adversaries that can influence Christians to be, now Christians make their choice to be away, but when non-Christians are involved within a Christian's life, polluting that Christian's life, I think that's the adversaries that the fury of fire of God comes upon them. More stuff happens that we don't really put our finger on in people's lives that God deals with. He's very serious about his children. Okay. It's like somebody, we have to go home and study this some more. Look at verse 27. But a fearful expectation of judgment, of discipline to that believer, and notice a fury of fire that will consume those who are influencing that, that believer around him. And then he brings up Moses' law. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy in the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he has been sanctified, and has, which he was sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace. This is strong language. Because God is a God who loves his children. Now, I challenge you to think about the context of the verses before us. 
you cannot pull these out, I don't believe, and make them say this was a lost person or a Christian that had lost his salvation. This is warnings to all of us that we have been given a, a tremendous privilege, the grace of God. Moreover, in this place, we have understood the grace of God in a deeper way that is not to be taken lightly. We are to embrace that grace and run the hilt of it.